Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Why does Paul instruct us to hand people over to Satan? That is a question that we'll answer on this episode of Word Matters. As always, I'm Brandon Smith, the spokesperson for the CSB, alongside my co-host, Trevor Wax, Bible and Reference Publisher. I can never say the word reference. I feel like I stumble over reference all the time. Bible and I need Reference. Help. Bible and yeah. Reference Publisher at B&H. Uh, today we're going to discuss uh, an instruction from Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, to hand someone over to Satan. This is a, this is that kind of church discipline text that a lot of people refer to. Yes, strange counsel, at least at first. Uh, I'm going to read the surrounding verses so that everybody has context for this. Mm-hmm. Always good to put a text in its context, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8 in the CSB. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and removed from your congregation, the one who did this? Even though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with the old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And there's that CSB just crushing it on readability, readability and accuracy. Man, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so the question we're dealing with here, obviously, you have the situation, this, this pretty... Uh, open and terrible situation of sexual immorality going on here. And, uh, you know, at some level, it appears it's being tolerated in the church. Um, beyond, I mean, what even people in the world would tolerate? Like, I think, I think if you were at a business or anywhere else and this kind of stuff was going on, you'd be like, that's probably over the line, right? Well, I mean, so, if they really loved each other. That's, that's right. <laughs> so it happens in the church. And so, um, so I mean, even the world wouldn't co- tolerate this. But, you know, verses 4 or 5, Paul says, uh, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus... I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus. Here comes, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so lots of questions start rising up here, right? I mean, what does that phrase, hand this person over to Satan, actually mean? Why would Paul want someone to be handed (laughs) over to Satan? What does it mean when he says that his flesh would be destroyed while his spirit would be saved? And we could go on and on with the questions, but those are the main ones. Yeah, um, and and the context shows, you know, that Paul is dealing with two problems here. So it's not only just the toleration of sexual morality, which is bad enough as it is, leading the testimony, uh, the church to have a testimony that's not not right to the world. Uh, but there's also an actual, like an arrogance, right? And the fact that like this guy yeah. is so proud of it. Like he's, like Paul talks as though he's like parading it around, like he's tell, tweeting it and telling all his friends, right? Like this is a, he's not even hiding it at all. Um, and so that everyone, so it's not that everyone in the church is immoral, right? But it seems to be that, that with them being okay with this sexual immorality and even maybe proud of what's going on here, that there's a serious issue going on, They're not just with him. The, but of how tolerant yeah. they are of what he's doing. Right. Okay. So, This may have been affected by philosophical currents of the time that um, downplayed the physical nature of our bodies. Yeah. Uh, You you see this like with Gnosticism and other other groups during the first century uh, in in other centuries as well. But this idea that, you know, what what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter, that spiritual liberation is what you're going for and that that's— 
you can showcase your spiritual liberation by transcending certain moral constraints that yeah. you find in the Old Testament law about sexuality or what our bodies are made for. Um, so these people are this this church is boasting in the fact that people in the congregation are so spiritually as aware, or are so spiritually aware that they don't even have a problem with this kind of sexual behavior yeah. that Paul wants to make sure everyone knows was prohibited not just by the Jewish law, but also by the Roman yeah. law, right? Everybody agrees on this, guys. Everybody agrees on this, and then the church is trying to show how amazing and tolerant they are yeah. that they don't have a problem with And it. you see Paul fighting this uh, in the Corinthian church a lot. I mean, you see him saying stuff like the body's being a temple, and if you do, if you, you know, act in these sexual immoral, or immoral ways, there's an actual physical, you know, aspect to it, not just soul. So anyway, let's look at a few views here and uh, see kind of where we can go. There's really two main views. And so uh, view number one is that this refers to uh, the Jewish practice of excommunication for defying marriage laws. So uh, when you ban someone who sinned in this way, you are separating them from God. And many believe that it would actually lead to a premature death. Uh, so maybe Paul is in some way saying, uh, you know, putting them out there and claiming them to death is God's punishment brought about by Satan. So so there are some interpreters who believe that, that you know, handing the man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh means you're casting the person out and that the result could be physical sickness, uh, corresponding with their spiritual sickness, or some sort of, sort of earlier premature death. Uh, and so the idea here is that Paul is pronouncing a curse on this guy. Uh, which he does say, you know, I'm judging you even from afar, these kind of ideas. Uh, the evidence for that view is that you can see parallels with Greek and Jewish curses. And you can see a situation, you know, like Ananias and Sapphira uh, in Acts, or even Paul's reference to people being sick and dying in Corinth because of their mistreatment of the Lord's table. So there's a lot of context there that could that could fit into that. Okay, so view number one, we're talking about something physical. View number two, uh, view... So like a literal, a literal curse, of, curse death. of death. Yeah. That's right. You number two would say that the phrase "hand over to Satan" is a figurative way of speaking about excommunication. So obviously, a person handed over to Satan indefinitely would mean that person is lost. Yeah, they're not going to recover. But we know it can't mean a literal handing over to Satan because Paul is prayerful in the passage. He he thinks that the man's soul in the end will be saved. Yeah. So according to this view, by excommunicating the man, the church is basically placing this guy back into the world. They're kicking him out of the church, back into the kingdom of darkness where Satan is the prince and the power of, uh, of of this world. And so put him out of the church means put him back in Satan's territory. Um, the, but the goal of that is not that the person's going to perish, but that the excommunication would destroy his sinful nature, would wake him up out of his reality of his sin, lead him to come to his senses. Uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, I've seen it this way, imagine putting someone out of the house on a cold, dark winter night and saying, okay, we hope that how cold it is out there is going to wake them up to the seriousness of why they are not in the house right now and that they'll they'll want to come back in. They'll want to, you know, uh, uh, come back in through repentance. So th- there's there's evidence of this as well. So you, you pointed out evidence for the literal view in, in uh, some Old Testament uh, literature and a couple of, of New Testament examples. But um, also for, there's evidence for this uh, uh, way of thinking. In 1 Timothy 1, for example, Paul talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan. I've handed over to Satan. I've delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Okay. So the context there is correction, not death. Yeah. That's so all. there's really two views, literal or figurative. Yeah. And so um, so let's take a look at our views. I can, I can go first here. Uh, so I'm going to land with number two. 
Um, I think the clear picture here is that Paul is protecting the community of faith from someone who appears to be kind of brazen in their sin, um, either as an unbeliever or at least a seriously misguided believer, although I think it seems to lean toward believer in the way that he's talking about this man. He seems to have hope for him, not just getting saved, quote unquote, but also being uh, somehow restored. So so if a little leaven ruins the whole batch, as he also says there, then then it's better to give a person over to their sin or to Satan um, than it is to let them sit there and ruin everybody else's reputation uh, in the world uh, in any way, maybe make other people feel like this is okay to do as well. Um, Also, you know, if you look in Romans 1, God tells us that he gives incessantly unrepentant people over to their desires. So there is a a sense in which even Paul said at the beginning of Romans that this idea is something that God actually does. So in some ways, Paul is, is acting in that same way, it seems like. So um, you know, I've seen this in churches. I've, I've been parts of several church discipline issues like this. Usually you see restoration or abandonment come out of this, right? So, so it seems like Paul is wanting restoration here, and that's what churches should want when this kind of thing happens. But, but I've rarely seen anyone just simply go to another church and carry on. Usually if they're at that, that sort of a state, um, either it's, it's an extreme step that's either going to make them come back or it's going to make them give themselves over uh, to their sin. And so I think that's what Paul is referring to. I think even experientially you see that in people, that there is sort of a one way or the other type thing. So, Trevin, what about you? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on this one. I think the second view makes sense, uh, or better sense anyway, than the first one. It's still difficult to understand. But uh, the, let me just say the first view that this was a literal curse, that you know, Paul's basically um, talking about this person being judged physically. I I don't think in the rest of Paul's theology there's a category for someone going through physical death in order that his spirit would be saved. Yeah. That To me, that seems to violate the doctrine of the resurrection of the body. Um, instead, I think it's better to see this passage as referring to uh, the fleshly way of life and the spirit-filled way of life. So when Paul says, hand him over to Satan, what he means is this. He's, he's basically saying, look, we can no longer assume of this individual that he is a follower of Jesus— so we are withdrawing our affirmation of his salvation. We are saying that he is living according to the flesh, according to Satan's reign. I, I think we do this with tears, with hope that through this act of discipline, through this handing over to Satan, he will repent, that the fleshly nature will be destroyed in him and that he will in the end be repentant. He will be saved. I, I think that's the overall view of what Paul's doing there. So um, the, the the context for this in 1 Corinthians, Paul wants the pride that this man feels, the pride that this church feels to be obliterated, and he wants to replace that with tears. Yeah. Firmness of action, yes, but tears as well. Yeah. So putting all that together, um, since we both agree with the second position. How, how would you preach or teach this? Yeah, I, I'm going to focus on the importance of community, the importance of um, being under the authority of elders of a local congregation uh, and the accountability there, right? So Hebrews 13, 17, one of, I think, the the best verses about pastoral ministry that most church members don't know or don't pay attention to uh, is this idea that pastors are actually called to care for the souls of the people in their church, that they are shepherd of their souls. And so in some sense, they are Uh, in a very real sense, actually, they're accountable to God, to what happens among the people in their church. Um, And so the church community is not just something that should be taken lightly, uh, and neither should the sins of its church members. So these church members should not be looking around saying, ah, this is okay, we're all fine. Uh, And and a leader like Paul should not be standing back saying, this is okay. Um, And people who really, truly get involved in community, who really get involved in accountability, um, who really are under the care of elders who really love them, uh, they will see this. It, it'll change the way they view the world, the way they view each other, the way they view God. And so I would really want to focus in on that as a pastor, not to say uh, Hebrews 13 is all about, 17 is all about me. You need to listen to me because I'm your boss now. Uh, but it's the idea of saying, look, 
part of the reason why this happened is there was not accountability. There was not community here that was helping this man um, get through this sin or whatever. And so Paul had to take the most extreme measure was to say, I love these people too much to allow this to keep happening. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to preach this, I'm going to I'm going to make sure, you know, I mean, first of all, we're talking about a church, not an individual, Um, because a lot of times and I, I whenever I'm preaching, I like to. I like to show where our current cultural sensibilities are going to rub up against the Bible and show how the Bible is actually going to contrast, uh, going to be a contrast to that. So, and, and I don't just mean the way the world would read the Bible. I mean the way we in the church sometimes would read the Bible. So when we come to a passage like this, a lot of times we have adopted this mindset in our in our own understanding of uh, divorce, of sexual immorality, of sin, and we've looked at these things as if they are private things private family issues or private individual sins, right, that that really the church doesn't have anything to do with. Right. So uh, there, are, there are a lot of people, I think, in our congregations who think, you know, what I do sexually, uh, you know, I'm going to answer to God for that, but that's on me, right? Uh, whatever I do uh, sexually, whether I'm, I'm sinning or not, that's really not the church's business. That's a private matter for me to deal with. Uh, well, here's where we need the New Testament to come basically smack us upside the head and say, no, 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 no. This is not how— you, May, that may be the way that 21st century North Americans see sexuality, but that is not the way that Paul sees uh, the church and sexuality. So uh, the very next line of this that I read earlier, it talks about how leaven is infecting the whole batch. Uh, I mean, he's Paul is not just concerned about this individual. He is. I mean, that's why he wants his soul to be saved at, yeah. the, end of the, at the end of the day. He wants the church's reputation to be restored. He wants the church to be protected from further sin. So when a church overlooks a sexual sin, when the church doesn't deal with it, almost always you see this happen. More sexual sin follows. Mm-hmm. The, the sanctity of the church is at stake. And, and here's, here's the reality. Um, the, the church that overlooks sin in one generation will be the church that celebrates the same sin in the next generation. Um, so the church has to take a stand to make sure everybody knows that, that we answer to the Lord and to each other for what we do with the body. We believe in the resurrection yeah. body. We believe in creation. We believe that our bodies were created for a certain purpose and that uh, what we do matters. Uh, the idea of casual sex is just a myth. Yeah, is a myth or consensual sex that doesn't harm anyone outside of marriage. That is a myth, according to to scripture. Um, so I would preach this passage in a way that communicates the seriousness of the church's holiness and and really calls the church to repentance because the church that tolerates sin is going to be the church that eventually boasts in sin. Yeah, and in our culture, I think you make a good point there. I mean, in our culture. A lot of times, uh, you know, if you're preaching a passage, you might want to say, "Look, this is a sin he's dealing with," but this could re- this could go to a range of other sins. Oh, sure, that's always true. But I think this is one of those ones where you really would want to focus in on the sexual aspect of it, the the way he's harming the body, the way he's uh, not showing the covenant between God and His people by doing this kind of thing. I think, especially in our culture, this is a, one of those ones where I think you're right. You really want to focus in on on that side of it. So. Uh, Well, Trevin, thanks as always for your help in uh, talking through this passage. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.